Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Doug Cole from Gaming Ballistics is back, and we discuss all sorts of groovy things. For starters, I found out that Doug actually played in a Robot Warriors campaign. We mistakenly called it Robot Hero, but who could blame us? We also discussed West End Games' Star Wars, and we get into pontificating about running mysteries in RPGs. Doug talks about creating a dynamic setting and handling success and failures with skills, and he also gives us a short history of the fantasy trip. This sounds like one very packed hour. One would think it'd be impossible to put additional quality content into the single hour. But wait, there's more. In the middle, and at the end of this podcast, we also discussed the hero system and GURPS. You'll notice a rather abrupt ending to our discussion because this was the first half of the talk that we had the previous week. Hang on tight, people. It is time to get rambling. Hello, Dad. Hello, Jeff. Oh, thanks for joining me. So, uh, you got this this game company called Gaming Ballistic. So, uh, and it sounds like you go, you know, back to the G plus day. So, I know you got some street cred, as if that really <laughs> makes any difference. So, uh, if you could just kind of like give me just a little bit of uh, history as far as your start in the hobby, as far Absolutely. as as far as playing. Yeah. So I uh, I started gaming um in 1982 or so um uh when my friend uh back in pennsylvania introduced me to advanced dungeons and dragons that was my first experience um then i got into and of course he could afford all the books because you know his dad was a stockbroker or something like that um and uh so then i got into it a little bit myself with the red box um and then sometime thereafter i fell into uh in so when i was 12 to 14 i fell into a group uh and we dabbled in everything oh my god sometimes i think that we played a different game every week uh some of our more epic campaigns were a fairly good running uh robot heroes uh sort of a, oh my goodness yeah there you go we, we 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 had it but we never played we did the battle tech but we i had robot heroes but we never did so it sounds like you were also hitting the hero system hard if you're if we you would just picked that one out right oh I mean, well you, that was what they picked out right so i was more of a i was not inherently like oh go go gadget gamer right i mean i, mean, I might sit at my desk designing castles um, using the uh, the castle design stuff from the Dungeon Master's Guide, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but in terms of, oh, do this, do that, do the other thing, uh, I couldn't. But my, my friends really were, and they we played a pretty epic Robot Warriors campaign, and that was actually the segue into Champions, um, so, the hero so when, system. Uh, well, so uh, I've never played the, the robot uh, um, hero. So the idea is you had Mecha. It's based off of, like I don't remember, like third edition uh champion or um yeah champions at the time because it wasn't it was, the hero system it was at the pretty moment. old that's right it was what back when it was just champions and so the idea is i'm trying to think so the robots use the like use some sort of vehicle rules and then the characters they, had their simple character rules. they right? did right so you built the heroes uh like you would any hero system character um and then the robots you had I think system points and mass, and one of the things you could buy with your system points was mass. So yes. you have, you'd, right? And so you buy mass points and then you allocate the mass points. Um, so a big robot spent a lot of money on, or, or a lot of currency, so to speak, um, on being big. And so you could have big weapons and stuff like that, but maybe the fire control wasn't as good. And so it was kind of a multi layer point allocation system. Um, but then it just, once you built them, it just fought like everything else, just bigger. Right, the hero system was pretty, I mean, their systems, was, it was pretty streamlined, pretty decent. So, yeah. so, the, so, the, but you also had characters. We did. You had the mecha pilots and they would interface with the robots through, uh, so did, so did yeah. you play mainly the battles or did you also do the, like a campaign with your characters? We, we did a bit of both. We did a bit of both. There was definitely a lot of uh, robot versus robot slugging going on. Um, but we did some intrigue and spy stuff as well. Oh, uh, 
Yeah, you know, I mean, it was not. I mean, you know, we were we were fifteen. I mean, you know, mostly we're there to kill things and take their stuff. Um, but uh, but we did uh, we did some uh, of that as we got more into more gaming in different systems. We got more into the characterization, and we played an epic Warhammer fantasy role play game. Uh, the 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 something's rotten in Kislev and power behind the throne or whatever. Uh, Empire in Flames, I think, was the campaign. Yeah, I that was never on our radar. Like we, I played tons, and I think I noticed with some other people that have played lots of the games back in the day that there's no like I would have thought there'd be more overlap of what we played. Like if I say I play like thirty different games, you say yeah, I played thirty different games, but we only have like ten in common. It's just kind of like strange. Well, during that time, you know, there were obviously D and D has been kind of the 800 pound gorilla one way or another almost since inception you got that first mover advantage and and it plays a good game right you know um but there were a billion little systems out there some of them not so little um you know you had rifts you had palladium you had the middle earth role play which was oh uh, yeah we played that we played yep. merp yeah we played merp um with the wonderful critical tables um yeah i tried i tried re uh i did a thing called rpg buffet a while back this is few de- couple decades ago right we would go back it's based off a, a podcast that i was listening to where they would just would have like a, a lunch and then they would play a game and i tried playing that and it was just, it ran terrible <laughs> right okay for for modern sensibilities it just it just it's terrible but in the day it was like exciting and fun right 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 and uh let's see what other we we play briefly i think we so so there's played and there's about to play right so we made a lot of characters for a lot of games uh and and then occasionally we would play some uh sometimes we would play and be like yeah okay something else and then sometimes we'd start so, so what other games you play uh we play played uh star wars the d6 west end game we never played game. that that is one of my favorite rules light yeah. systems where the mechanics are really quite good, especially at the time, and, and I, I think they've aged well. Uh, but boy, did I heard it you. I heard you can take out the moon with a blaster pistol. Is that true? No, not really. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, part of it is is that that was a game that rewarded uh, a game master and players who um, knew the genre, right? And, and were you know like respectful what, of it and respectful of it. And one of the things that. Uh, um, you you even right there in the example there was a thing where it's like you know okay we're in the millennium falcon or the aluminum the, the you know the the, the aluminum uh, hawk uh and we're gonna come up on the star destroyer and you're like oh i my, my ship guns do 5d damage and the game master is supposed to just look at you and say here's this tiny dot this is you <laughs> on on the star destroyer uh, okay, prepare for the jump to hyperspace, right? So, so it, it's one of those things where, and my understanding is, in modern terms, the the Simba Room game is like this as well. Where yes, there are probably loopholes, and if you're going to legally parse the rules, there's nothing preventing you from shooting your blaster at a planet, uh, except your game master smacking you overhead with the hardcover rule book. And well, saying, I think it's the exploding Dude. dice, is what doesn't it keep exploding? Oh, I'm uh, not in first edition. I don't okay. know what happened with the uh, 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 later editions, but the first edition. And, and just I, 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 you know what? I'm trying to remember if they introduced the exploding die in second edition, uh, but I was always a first edition fan. That was a fantastic. Okay, I'll keep game that in mind because because yeah. they did release that out. I think as a, as a, yeah, as a user like a, a free system. Yeah, Open D6. Yep. So what? So what else did you? What did you play? Uh, we played. So we got covered Warhammer. We covered Star Wars. We did play some GURPS. Um, that was my introduction to it in about 1989. Um, and then we all went off to college. Uh, we made characters, but didn't play uh, Star Hero. Oh, oh, oh! What did Carl run us through? He ran us through Time Lords. Time Lords. Yeah, we got. We never played that one, but we we had some of the pace setter games. That was one of them. Yep. That we never um, played. We played a couple uh, instances of. I think we just played it the one time of of Judge Dread. We didn't play uh, that role playing one. game. Um, let's see what else do I have on my shelf. In oh, Coastal Twilight Two Thousand. Twilight Two Thousand. The original. That's one I wish I would have played, but we never did. Um, Moral Project. No, didn't play that one. Aftermath. No. Nope. Okay. Yeah. So, 
Um, yeah, so do 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 trying to see if you know that 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 mostly covers it, I think. Um, and then I uh, uh, I got deeper into the games that I played in college. Um, brought out uh, the second edition, uh, the GDW second edition Twilight Two Thousand, uh, and then especially I started to get into things like their. Um, uh, Dark conspiracy setting. Um, yeah, I, I've never played it, but I do have some of the books. Yeah, and and the thing was, and I tried to run that game, um, and it, it just has great setting depth, but the rules were horrible. Yeah, right. They really got in the way of of the fun because uh, of, and, and I think they eventually realized that and moved over to a D twenty base and stuff like that. But but what wound up happening is because the rules were so awkward uh, uh, at the time. Um, I switched it over to GURPS. And I'll tell you what, a novice GM running a system with guns and fighting and magic and psionics and high tech and low tech and, 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 you know, and I had never really, really, really sat in the GM chair and, and done a lot of, uh, uh, of, of heavy duty GMing, but I had this stack of like 50 books in front of me and I was determined to use them all because they existed. And boy, was that the wrong way to run your first big GURPS campaign. Um, but, uh, but nonetheless, it got me into the system and, and really enjoyed what you could do with it. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been a fan, uh, ever since. Yeah. And I, unfortunately I not really played much GURPS. I did the hero system, which I've absolutely loved, but in some ways, I I don't know. I don't want to say I kind of yeah choose one or the other, I guess. And it's like I, I kind of don't really have regrets, but sometimes it's like I kind of wish I I would have gotten into GURPS a little bit more because there's some really great stuff that 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 came out. I mean, I don't know that it handled superhero stuff as as well, but I think probably low powered stuff it does better job maybe. You know, I think that, that that's fair. I have played a 2,000-point GURPS superhero, uh, but but obviously Champions was built for it. Right. Uh, and, and so it had the scaling down, and it where Champions embraced its own mechanics, this is how it works, and the universe works like this. Uh, GURPS, I think, was designed to be a little bit more grounded, like, oh, this is, you know, feet and inches or jewels or whatever. And so it, it was really trying to be a little bit more have a more of a touchstone um in in the real world um to both its detriment and its benefit um you know there are things in a superhero world where trying to bring it down to reality is a terrible terrible plan <laughs> well that's what somebody explained and i think it's probably true though i never really thought about it this way that the hero system does not handle low level supers well, which I think is true. I, I, think, I think that's the, true. I remember um, one of my friends when we played our champions game, although uh, it was, it was just hero back then. Um, he played a super normal and against a powered individual, he was just a pancake yeah. and not just from point difference. It, he was unprepared to deal with, what was out there in the world and he was really pissed about it too because well i mean and because i mean it was it was one of these things where it was it was it was the classic expectations mismatch i'm gonna play a character like batman and one of the things that a batman does uh is he gets away with a lot through dodge and luck and whatever right. um and and you know superman doesn't when superman fights batman he never just blitzkriegs him over with the wide angle x-ray vision like you occasionally see in the in the comic yeah. books so you know he, he could just turn back to a crisp if he wanted to the key with superman is he doesn't want to but we were fighting in this battle and whatever and of course our game master introduced the characters to each other through play by play uh, person uh, player pvp um and so you know he throws his his magical not magical he throws his bladed staff at me and it burns to a crisp on my fire force shield and, and you know i don't know i just know that i had something thrown at me and so clearly he's dressed all in black he must be a bad guy right he's got the funky hat you can't see his eyes so yeah. i just unloaded on him with like you know some destructo beam <laughs> thing and just pasted him you know and so ken is sitting there saying dude what's going on i'm sitting there like dude, what's going on? And Marcus sits there with his 
grin in his face uh saying ah, ha, ha, one player killed another player and that campaign didn't go very far yeah that's you know it seems great in concept <laughs> but in reality that just ruins the game quicker than anything yeah, so you just you know it just you know, that's one of the, this came up on a, some other forum is, you know, what, what's your life lesson from role-playing games? Uh, set expectations, communicate them firmly, reinforce them, and meet them. Um, if you're going to play a superhero game and you're expecting powered individuals to stand toe-to-toe uh, or next to normal individuals, you really need something like what the Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, role-playing game did. Uh, which is that the white, ha- <clears throat> excuse me, the white hats, the non-Buffy, the non-superhero, the non-monster, vampire, whatever, uh, they got a lot of luck. Uh, they got much, much, much more luck points to mitigate the fact that if you're going toe-to-toe uh, with someone who can bench press a 747, you're going to need a lot of luck, a lot of luck to make it out of the first episode. Well, I think the thing is, is, it could have been done in the hero system, but you have to reskin things. I believe so it. you have to, you, you could have given the character like a tremendous amount of armor, but just call, but, but the problem is, is it takes a lot of mental gymnastics. If you're not used to that, to learn how to reskin things appropriately. I think that's true. And there, there, there are a lot of games out there. Um, one of my favorites is night black nights, black nights, black agents, <laughs> Say that three um, times fast. Yeah, no kidding. Apparently, um, I clearly haven't had enough coffee this morning, or maybe too much. Um, but Knights Black Agents does some really, and the Gumshoe system in general uh, is really cool and flexible. But it demands a lot from the game master uh, because of some of the mechanics involved. Um, as a player, you can say, "Oh, I'm going to spend my points to make this casual character that we bumped into a super important NPC." Right. And if the game master is not ready to do that improv, then right, then right. the game I you agree. know you can you can go off the rails. And so you know there's 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 you know and I think that there's somewhat that can be true with most games where everything no, gets well, better when your game master is better. But well, I don't know if it's just better game master. I think like 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 Powered by the Apocalypse. You played any of those games? I have not. I'm aware of them. Okay, so it's like. You know, a if you fail a roll, so the GM never fit, and the GM never rolls, just the character or just the player's roll. So there's basically failure, but a failure means a GM can makes a move against a character. Okay, and it can be soft move or hard move. Well, you get to decide what that is, but that's a burden after a while. Okay, every time the rolls, you have to think of something interesting. Right. So so right 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 right. So in in the hands of the right group and the right people a lot of those games um play very well and i know that people have a lot of fun with them um in the hands of people who are not eager after a hard week of work to put that kind of mental mental energy into something uh that might not be the right system for that group at that time because like with D, it's all spelled out you fail, I, I succeeded a roll, I do X amount of damage, you subtract that damage from your sheet, you go on this, it's, it's, everything is completely, there's no, I don't want to say there's no ambiguity, but there's very little ambiguity and no work on the GM's part to try and figure out why this NPC is important. I think, know, I, 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 I think to, to, I think that that's most, mostly true. I mean, obviously, you know, there's the basic block and tackle of setting up a campaign world. Uh, yeah, and so you don't well, want, you don't want to minimize that. Well, especially though, if you're playing if you're playing an adventure that you bought, uh, or if you've got your own thing, you can decide things on the fly. And you know, most game masters know the trick of the NPCs are only as important as your players make them. So you know, if 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 your players start chasing the barmaid uh, or the barman. Um, then, you know, maybe that character, because they're interacting with them, you, oh, the players have grabbed onto something. Let's, right. let's make that important. Uh, but that's, 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 you know, a little bit of GM foo. Well, but I think, but it's generally minimized. There's less of it. The, 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 the mechanics don't require it. That is correct. Where, that is very where, true. Right. But you with, know, with yeah. the more, with a more, uh, crunchy granola, um, the, you know, just like for example, I'm playing, I'm running a game called uh, Brenda Wood Bay. Okay. It's a power by the apocalypse and it's a mystery. But the mystery is it's you've got your clues, 
you have your suspects. Uh, and the mystery is given, but there is no there is no predetermined who did what to whom or what. There's no nothing is de- nothing has been predetermined. And as a GM, you're just throwing things out, and players are pushing against the system. And then they finally make a guess, and and they roll to see if their guess is right. Interesting. And so, but that's a it takes a fair amount of mental gymnastics to say, you know what, they found a clue. Here's a uh, list of clues I can right. choose, but I need to make this clue fit the situation because the clues are not like Jim wrote this diary thing. It just right. you found a bunch of whatever you found right. a finger wrapped in an envelope. Yeah, what that's that all so- the clue is. Yeah, what that sounds like to me is. Uh... You know, as as an author and as a publisher, um, you have to watch out because you read manuscripts and you have things that come to you where it's like clearly the author of this manuscript, or if I'm writing it myself, had a solution in mind to a problem, and that runs yeah, into exactly. issues, right? <laughs> so it sounds to me like present situations don't present problems with a known solution. That's like taking that and making it on hard mode. You know, yeah, not, exactly. not, 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 not only are we going to present a situation, it's going to be the sketch of a situation. And not only is there no firm answer, there's not even a firm situation. So have at. Yeah. Which <laughs> the, the, the beauty of it is you can be given, you know, a sheet of paper and you can run a game a, a hundred times. Right. And it's with, different every time. Yeah, I think it'd be different with the same people. It, yeah. It's it is, but but it's hard. You know, this one's not too bad. But I mean, that, that's the. I think that's what's. That's what that flexibility it, it does put a burden on the GM, a, a, a mental burden. Yep. yep. Which I think is both. It's fine, but it's 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 it needs to be recognized because because the more you have to do that, the more taxing it is over a period of time. Yeah, unless you yeah, unless you uh, unless that's the kind of thing you groove on, but some people not, <laughs> but not everybody does, you know. And the flip yeah. side is you can have a game that's overly defined mechanically, um, yes. and and that that can run into as many. So and and it depends, right? The 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 game aspects of it, uh, uh, like you know, PvP for example, and and chess is an example where all the rules are known and it's very right. It's not a role playing game. Um, unless you're doing, you know, Harry Potter, uh, you know, a wizard chess. Um, but, uh, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's a game. It's not a role-playing experience. And well, but even yeah. like, I think call of Cthulhu, the yeah. old style, that was pretty much like, you missed the clue. If I understand right, you miss the clues, you're not going to solve it. And it had to be, which I think that's kind of more the, it is locked in in a structure and you have to work within as a player within that structure. Right. And, and that kind of, puzzle thing um can it you know it can work life has solutions sometimes sometimes there are right answers um usually there's more than one way to skin the proverbial uh uh displacer beast um <laughs> but you know so normally there's no, more than one way to, to mm-hmm. deal with that i mean you got to get your cloaks of invisibility somewhere uh or teleportation cloak or whatever it is but um you know there usually there's usually more than one way to, to to solve a situation but you know some answers are better than others and that can be okay um as an author uh, as a publisher you want to make sure that your your materials get the most use at the table and there are things that you need to realize uh, about how these published adventures are, are being used uh, right. frequently they're not being going to be used the way that you think right um if i like my my book um uh we're we're, we're on video but we're not uh, <laughs> yeah, uh no exactly. one can see so i can do a pro- visual prop isn't gonna help <clears throat> but like my 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 hall of judgment right which is a qu- very questy uh, campaign and it, it was also published as Lost Hall of Tear, uh, Norse-inspired setting um, for for fifth edition in my my what can only be called the Fantasy Heartbreaker Dragon Heresy. In any case, those are very quest. That's a very quest-centric adventure. Uh, so yay, right? You know, but you write this thing as if it's definitely going to be in the world that you set up, run in your ideas and whatever. But by and large, it's not. People are going to take an adventure and put it in the campaign that they've been running. Yes. In most cases. And so if you don't have enough hooks and soft edges in something that you're asking someone to pay money for, they're going to be miffed at you and they should be. 
um, you know, the 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 manuscripts that one gets that are very clearly this is my campaign world. This is how the adventure played out in my campaign. And I'm going to share it with you so that you can have the same fun that we had playing through the exact set of steps. Uh, those mostly don't work. They, if you're really good as an author, you can probably make them work. Uh, but mostly they don't because the assumptions that go into that are not shared and it is less useful as an adventure because it is not portable. Um, and, and so, and when I say you less useful as an adventure, like if you're playing in a known setting, if you're playing in Galarian or something with a lot of lore and a lot of hooks and a lot of things that people can latch onto and, and build from and use uh, your you have shared assumptions in mind. Uh, if you're writing in uh, the Whedonverse, the Buffy, no, sorry, the, the Firefly universe, you kind of have shared assumptions there about what's going on. And so you can build on those assumptions uh, and make your adventure that way. Um, for games like GURPS, which are not tied to a setting. That's one of the nice things about my own Nordland work for the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game is it provides shared assumptions. Um, and, and that's really, I'm finding that that's really, really important. Um, and it's not just important for play, it's important for marketing. Goodness gracious, <laughs> right? Uh, that's one of the things that we're, or GURPS or, or, or Hero System or any of the generic systems can struggle with is no two tables really have the same idea of what your game is. Right. And and the more that you can convey a set of shared expectations, uh, the more people will be able to grab whether or not that adventure or that setting or that whatever is good for them. Uh, but also the more um, uh, play you'll get where people are like, oh, that adventure or that thing matches the expectations I want for my table. So, yay, I will I will get that and play that and, and I know how to use it. Um, you know, the, the ability to, and, you know, I tell people this when they're writing uh, for me or with me, um, you know, the ability to drop in a campaign or an idea uh, into a different campaign that is not yours uh, is super important um, for, 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 for that, from that perspective. You know, that's one of the, the best things about, you know, I'm not a big fan necessarily of the contractual terms of the Dungeon Masters Guild. But being able to plunk an adventure down in a known universe with known creatures and known modes of play is, is tremendously powerful as a, a way to ensure that your creations are embraced and embraceable, right? They are embraceable. They are capable of being embraced. Yeah, I may not like what you did, but I understand why you did it and where it came from. Um, and, and, oh, I can relate to that as I see the hooks that you're providing and I'll either like them or not. Um, and it may be well executed or not, but at least you know where it's coming from. Um, and that's something where having a setting, uh, and shared assumptions is yeah, very important. There's a lot of complexity that, that, you know, if you are right in a, in a shared setting, you don't have to explain like, yeah. like star Wars, you don't have to explain the empire. You don't have to explain the ISB. You don't have to explain, Smug. I mean, there's a lot of right. things, but, right. but you know, it's just, right. but you can introduce complexity, but because already people understand it, you don't have to explain it and people can plug right in. That's right. Where, and, and, and there was a, there was a, a forum poster or something um, on, uh, I think it was a fantasy writers group, Facebook group or something like that, uh, where someone said, let's talk about tropes. And it was a fiction writing group, I think. Um, and they were talking, oh, tropes are bad and tropes are evil and let's break the tropes and this, that, and the other thing. Well, you know, tropes have their purpose. And, and when everyone can say, and, and you just treat the entire Star Wars universe, which is a great example of a shared consciousness, you say Star Wars as a trope in a way um, or space opera of that kind of genre, you know that it's, not going to be the camera is not going to linger on entrails right for more than a moment right the, the year oh look the tauntaun has entrails and that's all you ever see that it's but everything beyond that it's not that kind of game and and so by understanding the tropes you set up a, a layer of shared expectations because i'll tell you what most games that i've seen fail 
and I don't mean from a design perspective, I mean game group at the table. Most games that I've seen fail, fail because of, of expectations mismatch. It's not a, necessarily a skill problem. It's not the bad game master, right. bad player. People are approaching the table with different expectations. And yes. it, sometimes expectations develop differently over time. But if everyone comes to the table with a different idea of what fun is, you better find common ground or that game is not going anywhere. Uh, well, and I think also the tropes, I don't think f- things fail because they they fall into tropes. I think it's just that they they use a trope as a crutch and have poor writing. That That, that is likely. I guess what, what my point about the tropes is, is that especially for uh, game writers and role-playing gamers where it is considered a fatal flaw in an adventure to have a thousand words of exposition that the game master is supposed to read. Right. And that's just, that's just a smackdown waiting to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, it is also considered, uh, um, of limited quality or, uh, you're at the very least trying your audience's patience. If in order to play in your game, you have to yes. study. Even right? a page. <laughs> You just, you know, exactly. You every, page. Right, absolutely. No right. gets that. <laughs> right. Like... You know, so, so if you have to study to play, you're, you're really asking for a lot of trouble. One of the, the, the great examples of a brilliant universe uh, that I couldn't approach is, is David Pulver's Transhuman Space. Wonderfully complex and deep, but I was like, I have no idea how to scratch the surface of that. Because you don't live there and you really it's so I found it it's very difficult to to approach and convey. Now, there are ways of doing it well. You start off in an isolated thing and you peel the onion bit by bit. And there are ways of approaching a complex universe uh, better than just, bam, here you are in a fifth world world. And here's a guy with a cyber shell and here's this. And and you don't understand the conventions. Well, I think the other thing is, what are you trying to get out of it? So what's the story you're trying to tell or the game you're trying to play? Right. Because I think those transhumanistic kind of things aren't necessarily that fun for just a, let's just have an afternoon of fun, but let's explore themes. I, I, I think that that's true. Yeah, I, I think that there's some I, there's there's truth there. I mean, but you know, it's in a rich setting has a lot you can grab onto, and you can do a hack and slash, you know, guns blazing. Let's do a little assault thing within a complicated world. Where I think you run into trouble is things like, like well, like if I'm if I'm writing a game and I say, ah, look, here's an uncrossable chasm, ha ha ha, and then the magic user's like, uncrossable, boom, flight. And they just cross. And I'm like, oh, well, that was supposed to be the edge of my world. And I didn't think it through. And I failed to embrace the shared expectations of, of what the uh, uh, the world has. You know, and, and magic is a great one for this because, like, you know, the you know, like truth sayer spells and stuff. Oh, so much for the mystery, right? So much for our mystery hmm. adventure. Did you do it? Yes. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, going back to like the transhumanism, I mean, you can just play Traveler without the transhumanism. And if you're introducing transhumanism, but you're not exploring transhumanism, what are you really playing? No, that's right. yeah, you, yeah. Not, you, you you could be in a complex world, but it's it's like, what's the point? I, I I think that's fair, but you know, it's it's anyway the the but, but the, most people yeah. don't necessarily want to go into political uh, connivings. I mean, like take the Dune role playing game. Okay, so that's coming out. So okay, okay, okay. Well, if you're into the series, I've read most of the books. You're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna fit right in the stuff you don't know you're gonna read you're gonna be excited, but if you get Joe Schmo, <laughs> it's like right, you just right. roll dice. He's gonna be like, what? So and and so one of the things that I do in my Nordvorn, my my Nordland, uh, you know, Disney Vikings, so to speak, um, setting is I always encourage game masters to introduce new players to the setting um, using a festival. Uh, I, you know, there were an average of 60 holy days in, in per year, uh, and then many small minor festivals. So ev- about every six days, someone was having a party for something. 
um, and in a, in a world where the gods are real and you can chat with them or fight with them or make wild monkey love with them, all of which happens in these stories where the gods walk the earth, mm. um, those 60 festivals are likely tied to the religion. Um, and, and so it gives you an opportunity to literally sail up on a boat get off and there's a party going on and you can say, right. Oh, well, what does commerce look like? What are they saying? Are they, are they, are they avoiding certain subjects because it's Thor's day and you don't talk about that time he had to dress up uh, uh, as a woman to get his hammer back from the gods. You don't talk about that on Thor's party day on Loki day. You talk about it every freaking day and Thor's in the corner grumbling and drink and drinking, um, right? That kind of thing. And so you get a chance to see the commerce and, oh, here's a boxing match. How do they fight? Right. Is it basically full contact until someone's almost dead? And then they say, okay, you know, uh, Olaf wins, um, Bjorn loses. Will someone please get the cleric in here to restore Bjorn's life back to full thing, right? So you get to see what that's like. Um, you get to interact with the bit by bit. And so I encourage people to introduce people. Uh, and I've well, got tons it, of holy days written too, in books. Right. Yeah, that's right. right. It's so, and I think the thing is, is at that moment, you can assume that most NPCs are going to be positively attuned to the character. So they can go up and ask questions. They can chat with people without feeling like, you know, interrupting anything so i think that does also the festival just provides a, a positive way rather than just kind of like i don't know right exactly and and so you know to the extent that you can promote um uh some some immersion uh and i don't necessarily mean we're all going to turn into method actors here um but to the extent that you can uh help people grab onto the hooks of your environment um as a game writer, uh, that's, that's really right. Helpful. Organically in, in some ways of their choosing, right. Not that's necessarily right. That's right. You know, the, the dead exposition. Right. No, that's right. And, 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 but, and, and there are ways of doing exposition. Well, it's just, you can't do them all at once. The greatest thing that you can do to provide exposition in player agency driven chunks is a rumor table. What are people talking about at bars? Right. If you, if you know, you don't have yeah. to give the entire story of how Baron Gwalathar sailed off to war, leaving the Baroness behind. And now the dragon, I'm talking about uh, uh, David Pulver's Dragon Hunt and Dark Lord's Doom, uh, which are mirror images. These are both the solo adventures from my last Kickstarter. Um, but Dragon Hunt and Dark Lord's Doom are actually set in the same kind of sort of area. There was a Baron who got called off to war, and the war is part of Dark Lord's doom, and his Baroness is part of still on his land, and with the armies gone, the dragons start to get frisky, and so she has to call for heroes to go on a dragon hunt. Um, but you don't need to do more than a paragraph on that. You discover it as people are talking about it, right? You're in, you go into this one town and there's a couple of rumors. You roll 1d6 to see what this table is talking about. And, oh, you know, here's this and here's this other thing. And, and, and so you can have these stories come up and you find out about them in dribs and drabs. And you find out about them by the players asking. They're going to interact with the world. And if you interact with the world, you get a cookie. Yay, right. cookie. <laughs> and you bite the cookie and it tastes good and you want to enter you want to eat more cookies. And so you do more of this stuff. And then you're like, oh, well, there is a young man who's disappeared. Uh, and you know, the his parents are frantic and the town mayor is distraught, and the people who would normally go do this are off at war. So, oh knows, who's gonna go save my little boy? Well, the players might, or they might, might. say, well, what's it worth to you? Right. But it, it, it's, uh, it, it gives you an opportunity to interact with the world and the players can walk away because it's a situation. It's not a, uh, uh, it's not a solution. The players can walk away or they not. And, and as you get a feel for the kind of things that they do, they build their reputation and they did this. And so other people are going to come looking for them and they didn't do this. And so the next town over is going to say, oh yeah, you were the people who left Timmy to die in the well. You bad, bad people go away. We're not going to feed you or we're going to charge you twice as much as we used to or whatever. So you can have these things that, that uh, uh, become meaningful. Well, there's also cause and effect going on in the sense that there's an overall situation that's happened that the players are not directly uh, in, in, uh, involved in, that is this war. But you can reinforce 
the story of what's going on by seeing the effect on the people. Yes, absolutely. And then you could say later on, you, the players, you don't have to, to be putting that narratively like, you know, this war has been, you know, decimating to the to the population. Right. And it's, it's leading to this because you can just show right. the show. The don't problems. tell. That's right. Right. There's no food. There's, you know, the, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the, all the people of fighting age are gone. You know, you've got this guy, you know, you've got this, uh, you know, 10 year old kid uh, who's living with his aunt because his mother and her father were both in the militia or part of the mercenary unit or they were called up. You know, he was a wizard. She was a shield maiden and they're both off fighting somewhere. So, look, you've done something. You've made someone care about the kid. Hopefully you care about the kid. Right. You've established the fact that the fighting age people uh of of this particular world are absent um and if that is a goal of yours you can emphasize the typical roles of the people of that town and what's missing oh my goodness the blacksmith is gone because he's off to war who's gonna fix my pump well i think the other thing you're you're introducing is the fact that the players at that point i can can choose a path kind of like you mentioned they can choose a heroic path or they can uh, do a, a self-serving path, but it, it still allows them to accomplish the same thing doing different ways, but kind of also create their own story by doing so. That's right. And, and in, in my book, The Citadel at Nordborn, um, I, uh, in the back I have, uh, and this is where I really wish I could do a, sh- a screen share. I am a huge fan of setting over, over adventure, but I do, I do both. Um, but what uh, mostly because it gives you hooks. But what I did in the back of Citadel at Nordborn is I have something called a mind map uh, or a relationship map where you mm-hmm. have all the different players and there's almost always multiple ties between each one. So Egil, uh, the Castellan of Nordvorn is allied and friendly with these two nobles he's required to deal with these other three because they're his vassals he doesn't like them but he's tied to them um and this other person is his vassal but is actively plotting against the noble um because of whether maybe it's demon cult maybe it's just he thinks eggle's doing a terrible job whatever right and then each of the other things has multiple and so you have the spider web of interactions and you can't walk through that page so to speak without the players plucking on something if they say something nice to the retainer of one of Egil's favored vassals servants or whatever that says to the people who don't like that uh, uh, hierarchy of people that these people are my enemy, and so you all the players will have caused trouble and potentially formed alliances simply by interacting in a, in one way and by having these relationship maps. The story tells itself. I've run multiple games with nothing more than that page that go on and on and on and on and on. So have you have you looked at the, the Smallville relationship maps? I haven't. I have to imagine that they're very much similar. My, this, yeah. re, this, I'm not saying that this relationship map or mind map is a new idea. No, uh, but I mean, works. but they also put in events and other things. But the, the thing is, which I think could be not not that I have have seen yours, but the, another thing that could be interesting, the next step would be is to put some blanks in there, and then the characters have to write the character names in those blanks. Okay. And all of a sudden, you are. You have the Duke that's not really for you, and right, you right, have, right. but uh, but no, I think the, those relationship maps are really good, and I think they do provide a means of right. understanding. And, and as a GM, when everybody's connected to everybody in a certain way, anything that you do at that point um, will affect other people in that world for you or against you. That is right. And, 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 and some of them are neutral, right? You know, some people might be like, Oh, well you just messed up this guy's plans and I neither like you or hate you, but boy, that's an opening for me. Um, and by having, um, the, the, each of these, especially some of the bigger players, right? I mean, you know, that some of the mo- smaller players are their goals and motivations are I want to eat today. 
you know, it doesn't have to be right. You know, I, I, it's just, it's, 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 you know, some of these, you know, I, I, they're just going from place to place. You know, you don't need every henchman to have plans to conquer the world, but there are going to be some people who have goals and the game, the author, I should say, uh, but as a game master, you, that too, you need to understand um, what motivates the, the movers and shakers of the world, including your player characters. And the best expression of that that I've heard was actually taken from a business strategy framework uh, by the McChrystal Group, uh, General McChrystal of, of Special Ops fame. Um, the, the strategy is what he defines as strategy is what do you need to win? Not how do you win, that's tactics. Not what yeah. will you do, that's, uh, uh, that's your vision and value, your values. Um, not what does the world look like after I win, that's your vision and mission. Um, but actually mission is what does winning look like as you're doing it. Um, but strategy, what do you need to win? And if you can answer that simple question, maybe it's not that simple, but if you can answer that question for your bad guys, you know how they're going to react and what they're going to do because they need X, Y, and Z in order to win whatever they think of winning. And if the players are interfering with getting X, Y, or Z, then he needs to take action. He will have to execute tactics against the players preventing him from getting uh, 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 what they need to win. If they're helping him get what he needs to win, he will encourage that behavior. And you don't even need to have the scene chewing, mustache twirling, whatever, whatever, to have those actions and interactions be very impactful on the world. It can be three layers back there, but if you know what the players are doing that either helps or hinders these, these movers and shakers need to win, you can really make a world come alive. Uh, and bringing it back to our prior conversation about Knight's, Knight's Black Agents uh, and Ken Height's Conspiramid, where he encourages you to build up several layers of building blocks in kind of a pyramidal, what are yeah. the layers of hierarchy and stuff, having those tie together and having like the fourth level guy talking to the seventh level guy, <clears throat> level of pyramid rather than D and D level. Um, it can make for a very dynamic game um, because it's going to it, feel like a real world. And then that's always fun. Yeah. So I, I have, Tempted to pick it up. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm minded to pick it up mainly just for the conspiracy mid. I don't know that I'll ever play the actual game, but it does sound like what he sets up is a very viable thing for for the player to start peeling back and peeling back and peeling back. I think it's fantastic and very exportable. Um, you know, but NBA is another game. It's a gumshoe system, so it's another game that provides uh, a high potential. Uh, burden on the game master because it's it's very improv heavy um but uh but it's also a game that encourages you to do things like uh look it's not getting the clues that's the hard part it's what you do with them right yeah and that's what i think the whole thing with um with um it was robin d laws okay yep. was you you do not want to keep you you really don't want to res restrict much the player's ability to get clues because that's not fun. Right. Getting clues is fun, but that's really not where the rubber meets the road. The rubber meets the road is what do you do with all this information? Correct, correct. And and unsurprisingly, I suppose since you have Ken and Robin talk about stuff, um, those two were aligned on that philosophy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, and so you know that's where it, it's kind of like going back to even the. the um, the Bridal uh, Bay, uh, um, yeah, Bridalwood Bay. It's like you know, it's it's easy to get clues, and and the clues aren't depending on error. It's just a list of clues. You sure. you you succeed in your. It's called meddling, and then there's just a list of clues, and then you as a GM try and figure out how that particular clue fits in that particular. We just pick from the list, and you say, hey, I wonder if this will fit in here, right. and you can adjust it. You know, it could just be um, a taboo affair. Okay, yep. <laughs> like I guess a taboo's affair is is involved. And I, well, okay, well, how's this affair a, a taboo? It's like, right, right, right. It's like, and how do they find it? What's the clue that shows that it's a taboo? You know, like you right. get a letter, you know, whatever. So, um, I I think we are um, at a point in system um, uh, design where we've 
I mean, we're that next step beyond where we were, obviously, back in the 80s, where, you know, you had to you had to break open to this particular office and break into this particular desk and find the secret panel to get this particular letter to allow you to, you know, right we're beyond right. that, you know, thankfully, right. Right. I hope. Um, well, you know, I mean, there, there, there's some charm to it, um, but, uh, you know, the uh, and there's some great uh, caper. Um, plots that you can do with which is basically like you know how can i make all of the pieces fall into place the funny thing is though is that even with the improv stuff uh i once had a situation where i had a situation um and my players it was a gerps black ops game and my players uh they planned they executed uh they contingencyed um they double fought and they had this entire thing wrapped up from every angle and they ran a perfect mission and afterwards they looked at me and i was like wow guys you did so well and the six of them looked at me and said that was the most boring four hours of my life i have ever experienced how could you do that i'm like i was like but you guys did so well you it was it was exactly how these secret spy missions are supposed to work where you've 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 planned you've executed you've done diversions you've wrapped up all the loose ends and they're like yeah but nothing went wrong i'm like because you made nothing went wrong it was they're like and so every you know no matter what you right. still want to have that random element of, uh, or at least those guys really wanted to make sure uh, that something dramatic happened. Have you, are um, you familiar with Blades in the Dark? Uh, I know of it, but I am, I've never played. So basically what you do is um, there um, so what you do is a, I believe it's a uh, a four and a five is a partial success. A six is a full success. So the mechanic would be you're, you're planning a job. So you okay. start with a D six and then for various things that, that you're in a strong position that you can add or subtract dice till you get a, a handful of dice and you throw them down, boom, and you pick the highest one. Okay, sure. And if you get, Two sixes, that's if there's two sixes, then that's a, a critical success. So basically, you pick a critical juncture in that plan where something's going to happen. Like, like to say you're going to go rescue somebody. What you can do is you can roll, and based on that roll, you see how well that plan executed up to, to a certain key point. Okay. And if they roll one, two, three, things go bad. So you don't have to like create a whole base, you don't have to plan out everything. You can say, you know, your plan of doing this and this and this, they spend five minutes, you know, like, you know what, take an extra D6 for that. And you this, take a D6, but this is heavily surveilled, so minus a D6, and you roll it, and then you can get right to the business. And then once that action happens, it also tells you what position are you in when it does happen? Are you in a good position or a bad position? Right. And so you can just start the action at that point. You know? there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's actually been a, a, a some productive discussion that I've never really seen truly uh end uh about how to run stealth um in in gerps um in that it's usually a contest of stealth versus perception um and i've seen some really good suggestions that basically say you roll the dice and you look at the margin of success and failure or whatever and, and that tells you how close you get before you have to do something, right? So if you roll really well, you can get right at next to your target before they become right. aware of you. If you don't, maybe you started a thousand yards away and you make your die roll and you get to a hundred yards and something happens. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean, oh, you didn't sneak. It might mean that a hundred yards out, you there there's a chance for you to right. be noticed what are you going to be do about it and, there's a couple so, more guards yeah. that show up or all of a sudden the spotlight goes on right it's exactly. not that you failed to, it's not that you failed to sneak because you're still snucky right right you're still right. in the snuck you're stage snucky. yep you're a snucky snucky snake yep yeah but
but you're at a point where you did not, it, you weren't able to get the point of infiltrating. Right. And there's a decision a that you have to point. make. That's right. That's right. So stuff like that, you know, um, and, and that's, that's, again, that's the, the, one of the biggest things that I tell my, my authors and I try and do myself is, is, you know, make sure that you don't have too many opportunities to sort of save or spectate or save or suck. Right. Um, the, where, you know, you've, you've got something where if you don't have the skill, if you don't make the role, if you don't find the clue, you're done. And your guy, yes. you know, you're like, you know, the pizza's getting cold and the beer's getting stale and you got five people staring at you and you're like, well, what are you going to do? And you're like, what can I do? Um, you, you don't want to deny the agency of action uh, because these games are even even if it's like subtle spy action or psychological action, but you don't want to deny agency of action um, to your friends whose time you are taking, uh, and who are giving you their time and you're giving them their, uh, your, uh, yours. Uh, but you want that to be something where the interaction is, is happening and involving everybody. And, and you want people to get what they came yeah, to the table to get. The concept of failing forward or failing at a cost. Cause like the D and D days, you need that, you need to find that secret door. And how many times have you, you know, no way you'd find a secret doors if you were rolling for it. No way you're rolling for it if you're calling for it. In a way you could do that, you had to roll a certain characters that can only find it. Why now if you blow your roll, you find the door, except the bugbears are coming through. Right. You know, right. then the, the story goes forward. Right. But there's a cost for you missing your role. Right. And and David Pulver in his three programmed, he's done more than just for me, but I'm just gonna, you know be narcissistic and talk about what he's done for me. But in his three programmed adventures that he wrote for me, uh, Vampire, Hel- Vampire Hunter Belladonna, Dark Lord's Doom, and Dragon Hunt is, uh, over the last two TFT campaigns. Um, those are what you call solo or programmed adventures. They're basically choose-your-own-adventure books, but using the TFT rules. And so you have exactly that, where, oh, you know, people with this skill can make a test, and if you either don't have the skill or you fail it, you go to this paragraph. If you have the skill and you make it, you go to this paragraph, if you, whatever, whatever, right? So, and then sometimes there's three branches and, and, and you go back and forth between paragraphs and you use the fantasy trip rules to resolve uh, the role-playing challenges and you can either do it yourself uh, or in some situations you can do it, you can have multiple friends each playing a character um, and then you run the monsters and bad guys, however, they kind of pop up. But it, it's actually a really uh, uh, clever setup, and it's great to learn the system. But yeah. it's also good for uh, when the game master wants to play, too. Um, so it's uh, – and I got to tell you, his is – I liked I, I liked, and I do I, – I both like when he wrote it, and I still like it now, uh, Vampire Hunter Belladonna. But I got to tell you, Dragon Hunt and Dark Lord's Doom are a master class in – interesting difficult programmed adventure play hmm. just great stuff that he did um and uh uh I, just, I i can't say enough good things about those particular uh uh, uh efforts in in the fantasy trip uh um product line i guess i'd say yeah so um i guess the question is um what is a fantasy trip? So the fantasy trip uh, grew out of a pair of combat war. Well, the fantasy trip, yeah, it grew out of a pair of combat war games. Um, one was called Melee. That was, I believe, the first. And then there was Wizard, uh, which was about wizard duels. Um, but it was a simple, tactical, gladiatorial combat game okay um that used hexes and and it you know maybe solved some problems so to speak uh that steve jackson um had uh with the the more popular games at the time or the more popular game at the time um and so he wanted to approach things different ways um based on his experiences uh and his preferred style of play the fantasy trip uh through its rule book in the labyrinth was taking the melee and wizard combat games and integrating them with a role-playing experience um, that uh, uh, 
enabled more campaign style play rather than just a series of fights, um, although it can still be used for for that. Uh, so and that I believe that see if the fantasy trip uh, was first published around 1980. Um, so right in the thick of the emergence of, of, of role play right. games uh, written. Uh, while Steve was working for Howard Thompson at Metagaming. Um, and so Howard owned the rules, technically, and Steve lost the rights to them. And then there were some changes. And so that, that game languished when the company folded or brought up. Um, and then there were some changes in copyright law and Steve went through the motions to do it. And 30 years later, because that's, that's how long crazy. he had to wait, he reacquired the the rights to to the work that he did, uh, and so in 2018 they they did the legacy edition and, and published released the PDFs and the game was formally released as a physical product again uh, in 2019. So you see in the copyright statements in the books you see copyright 1980 comma 2019 2020 2021. Um, because that's how long it was between the original release uh, and the re-release as this gigantic, heavy, full box called the Legacy Edition. You don't have to get the $200 box or whatever it was with all, all kinds of stuff in it, uh, but you can, um, and, it's, <laughs> and it's cool. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a meg. It's, I got to tell you, the, the Steve Jackson games did a fantastic job on the production values of every single thing in that box. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's it's a somewhat rules light. It's it's sort of a point based thing. But your character sheets are like the size of a three by five card. Um, you know, you allocate thirty two points among three attributes and slap down some. You know, pick a weapon, pick some armor, and go fight. Um, right. So it's it's designed to be a very rapid time. What I call time to table, right? D and D for oh, old school D and D fantasy trip, D six Star Wars are all games where you can be killing monsters and taking their stuff uh, or flying through the galaxy and, and doing, you know, shooting down TIE fighters within about 10 minutes of someone saying, let's play. Um, let's have this do this. You can generate characters and be playing uh, very, very quickly. And there's a lot of appeal to that. Um, yeah. Well, I think uh, the power by the apocalypse games are, they uh, have what's called playbooks. And so it goes back to that where, you're um you have like a sheet of paper two sheets of paper and a lot of your decisions are just just make a check mark on it so you can you can do a name you can do this you can do this you can do this and you roll it and you can have a character very quickly and um and the idea is i think harkening back to the old days where you don't have to spend a lot, in fact you spend less time making a character with those systems than you do with with a lot of the others because like for instance you do away with having to roll dice because you may have six attributes or five attributes or whatever, but you just assign a point to one, a point to another, and a minus one to another, and then you're, you're done. Right, exactly. And, and um, that gets down to, ironically, what was a fairly old-school perspective um, that is getting new life, I guess. In, is it's, it's not who you were, it's what you do. And yeah. the, the adventure is, is the interaction of your paper persona with the situation. And that's what matters. And all the rest of the stuff is, is, is just comes along for the ride. Um, now the flip side is you have games like GURPS where um, it's a very front loaded system where you have to spend and champions for that matter as well, where you have to spend a lot of, or if you're going to start play at 15th level with Pathfinder, you got work to do. Um, yeah. Right. And, and so you have to do that before, um, before you get going, once you get going, the play experience, at least for GURPS and champions for that matter. Um, but I'll speak to GURPS cause it's what I'm most familiar with. Uh, once you get going and have done what we like to call front loaded work of making the character, the play experience is very streamlined. Um, when I've yes. played in conventions, uh, I've handed out pre-generated car. I have a set of 16 laminated pre-generated characters, uh, built for my Nordland setting. Um, and I'll hand them out and say, okay, one, two, three, go. And I was at Nordcon, Steve Jackson games, uh, uh, convention. The first, the first one, which was face to face, the Nordcon two and, and later has been virtual. Um, but the first Nordcon, um, 
I had a group of 13 people at my table, seven of whom had never played GURPS before. And it didn't matter because the game itself is very roll and shout. The, the stuff where it gets a rep for math and being cumbersome and stuff like that is almost all in the prep. Yeah, I agree. I do find, for some reason, I did find it with Hero that, for whatever reason, the adding the plus, even though these people have experienced with D20, for some reason, the adding back and forth to get your target number, for some reason, for some people, it was harder for that than a D20. I don't understand that. You know, it, um, in a way, and 5th and edition has actually done a really good job at this, where most of the bonuses are, are either pre-calculated, right? your proficiency plus your uh, stat bonus. So it's right there. Um, and the most... One of the most complex, quote-unquote, complex mechanics in that is simply advantage-disadvantage. I'm going to shoot my bow at long range. Oh, you roll at disadvantage. Boom, done, right? So it does a nice job of, of keeping things moving. Um, GURPS, actually, especially in, in when you have a lot of points and you can do many things at once, uh, GURPS, Champions, a lot of games that... Uh, uh, or even D&D, if you're doing like, oh, I've got a high-level fighter with six attacks uh, or four attacks or whatever... Uh, can bog down in the number of choices that you can make and and option paralysis, you know, analysis paralysis, option paralysis, um, you know, trying to eke out that extra bonus, uh, especially against a 3D6 system, because if you're rolling, if you're rolling against those middle target numbers, plus or plus one or plus yeah. two makes a big difference. Um, but, you know, there are, there is a case for, um, uh, for minimizing that for, for smooth play. Uh, but that is where some, you know, some figuring out the target numbers. And if you really are going to insist on bringing every bonus and jot and tittle to the table, uh, that can slow play. Yeah. And I think with, with, with the hero system, it had both normal and killing damage. Yep. And I remember that. Yep. Yeah. So that the, the normal damage is very confusing. And then, then you have to multiply for stun or you can multiply for stun. And that was, you you can add a level of complexity, but yeah, def, you're right. The the fifth edition definitely took the, a step in in a more sensible direction. 